Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Okay, not very often do I cover crimes dating this far back. Today we're going back to 1957, but this story has all the meat, you guys, and it happened on Halloween, so perfect timing. Today we have a jealous, vengeful, scorned woman who sets out to kill her lover's husband. But unlike most love triangles, the wife wasn't involved in the plot to kill her husband. A total stranger does it. Before I get started, I just want to thank you so much for tuning into Storytime Slayer Podcast. I am your host, Haley Lira. If you haven't already, go subscribe to my podcast. Give it a five-star review. You can add and follow me on Facebook at Storytime Slayer. My Instagram is story underscore time underscore slayer. I love doing this podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's hear a word from my sponsors and then we are going to dive in guys. So I have struggled with depression and anxiety most of my life. It has greatly affected my ability to work at times and connect with my loved ones. However, once I was connected with a licensed therapist, I felt so much better and found ways to cope with my anxiety and depression. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you too. BetterHelp has a broad range of expertise with over 20,000 therapists in their network, giving you access to help you may not have available within your area. And it is so simple to get matched with the help you need. You just fill out a questionnaire to assess your specific needs, and within 48 hours, you'll be connected to a therapist. The best part is you can schedule your sessions over video chat or on the phone, whatever you're comfortable with. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages with your therapist, and it's all confidential, guys. Also, if you don't like your therapist or think they're a good fit, you can request a new one at any time for no cost. So join the 2 million people taking charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash S-T-S. That's betterhelp.com slash S-T-S. Sign up using my promo code to get that 10% off your first month, and I will have that link in my show notes. Okay, let's dive in. So it's Halloween night, 1957. Hair salon owner Peter Fabiano, who I believe was 39, and his wife Betty, who was 36, were in bed after an evening of passing out Halloween candy in Sun Valley, California. It was just a little bit after 11 when they got into their bed and somebody rang their damn doorbell. Uh, Assuming it was a trick-or-treater, Peter reluctantly got the candy bowl and made his way to the front door downstairs. Betty said she heard her husband Peter say something along the lines of, quote, isn't it kind of late for this sort of thing, end quote, to the trick-or-treater. Betty couldn't hear what the voice said back because it was really muffled, but then she heard a loud pop followed by a thud and then tires screeching. Betty ran downstairs and found her husband had been shot. Reports are conflicting, though. So some reports say that he died en route to the hospital, and some say he was unconscious for days before ultimately passing away at the hospital. Either way, he dies. Betty was so distraught that she had to be sedated for a few days before she could speak to anybody, including police. The story hits the papers, and it was referred to as, quote, the trick-or-treat murders, end quote. 
Finally, Betty is ready to speak to police and she tells them what she heard. She didn't see the shooter, though. L.A. had been having issues with gang violence, so police's initial thoughts were that this was a gang or mob-related act of violence. After doing some research, it appeared Peter had ran into some trouble back into the 40s with bookmaking, which is when you organize illegal gambling bets. However, since he moved to California, he had cleaned up his act, opened some successful salons, and was neither gang or mob-related. Um, so yeah, none of that seemed to play a part in his murder. Police have to go back to the drawing board and they ask Betty if she knew anybody who would want to kill Peter. She says, yes, a woman named Joanne Rebel. When police ask who this Joanne woman was, Betty was less than truthful. She simply stated that Joanne was a longtime friend of the family. So police look into this Joanne lady. She was 40 years old and a freelance photographer. She knew the Fabiano couple because she had briefly worked in one of Peter's beauty salons. Joanne said Peter and Betty were two of her closest friends. So when police questioned Joanne, she told police that she had nothing to do with the murders and that she'd been at home all night that Halloween. In fact, she pointed to her car and said that it had been sitting outside all night, asked somebody. So her car had been sitting out front of her house all night. That was true. However, when police spoke to her friend, Margaret Barrett, she said that Joanne borrowed her car on Halloween and drove about 37 miles. That's such a funny thing to know. I don't know. If somebody borrowed my car, I couldn't tell you exactly how many miles they drove. Hmm. I should change that. When confronted with what her friend told police, Joanne said that she only used Margaret's car to go get groceries and she was not the gunman. The police probably thought it was weird that she used her friend's car and lied about it, but they didn't have any evidence to keep Joanne on, so they had to cut her loose. What police had no way of knowing, because Betty was likely too embarrassed to tell the police, is that Joanne was much more than a family friend. By the way, before I continue, I keep saying Joanne. I'm pretty sure her name was Joan. J-O-A-N. All right. So... You see, Betty and Peter had undergone hard times in their marriage. The couple met in the 40s in New York. Betty was a divorcee with two children, and Peter had just finished serving his time in the Marines, and he was a truck driver and a bookkeeper. Remember, he did the, he did the gambling bets. The couple decided to move to L.A. in 1956 and opened two successful hair salons. Although business was doing smashingly well, the marriage was deteriorating, darling. The couple actually separated for a period of time, and while they were separated, Betty went to go live with Joan, and the two became really close. Joan was a closeted lesbian and is believed Betty and her were lovers. This really struck a nerve with Peter when he kind of caught wind of this, and so when Peter and Betty decided to give their marriage one more try, Peter made a stipulation that Betty was to not ever see or speak with Joan ever again. Betty agreed and she went home. Okay, so we know that, but remember at the time of Peter's murders, police have no way of knowing Betty and Joan were ever lovers and that Peter forbade Betty from ever speaking to Joan again. Betty didn't tell police her and Joan were lovers, 
I bet you not only was it partly because it would have been humiliating. Remember, this is the 50s. Maybe it would have been out of fear. Same-sex relationships were really frowned upon and not even made legal in L.A. until 2013, technically. So not only could Betty have been embarrassed, maybe she felt unsafe divulging that information to law enforcement. So the murder case sort of dies down for a little while. Police couldn't find a good suspect with a real motive. But as luck would have it, a short time later, someone found a 38 caliber handgun in a department store rental locker and turned it into the police. Police retrieved the weapon and ran a ballistic test on the gun. The gun was a perfect match to the one that was used to kill Peter. When police officers ran the gun to see who it was registered to, it was registered to a lab assistant at the local children's hospital named Goldine Pizer. She was 40 years old. Up until now, she was never connected or suspected to the murder of Peter. There was no link between them. She was a very meek and docile person, and she did not seem like a cold-blooded killer or that she had any involvement. But when the police arrested her November 12th and brought her to the station for questioning, y'all, she cracked immediately. And yes, she was a killer. She's a killer. I don't think anyone anticipated what she was going to say. According to Goldine, she had been brainwashed and manipulated by her lesbian lover, Joan Rebel, and admitted to shooting Peter because Joan had told her how bad of a person Peter was. By the way, just on a side note, Goldine had never met Peter. So police are for sure caught off guard, though, by what Goldine was telling them because they'd interviewed Joan multiple times, and each time she claimed to know nothing and have no involvement. So police get an arrest warrant for Joan, and in the meantime, Joan gets herself a lawyer. But it doesn't matter because, dude, Goldine is sealing their fate. She is just spilling everything to police. Here is what Goldine says happened. Now, Goldine had known Joan for about three years, but it wasn't until Betty and Joan cut all ties, which was just within the last couple months, that Goldine and Joan became really close. According to Goldine, Joan bitched and moaned, though, about Peter all the time. And she told her new lover that Peter was a drug dealer who harmed his wife and his children. As time progressed, Goldine said that all Joan talked about was Peter, like for hours. And she had actually convinced Goldine that Peter was a monster and that he like literally needed to die. The plan was to kill Peter and it was discussed many times between Goldine and Joan. They were just unsure how they were going to do it for a while. They couldn't decide between a gun, a knife, or poison. Um, obviously, they decided on a gun. So Joan gave Goldine money to go buy a gun, which she did. And it was one that she just like went and bought at the store and registered to herself. So that's interesting. And Goldine only bought two bullets, by the way, which is such a small amount to me. Um, I just thought that was really weird. So the women chose Halloween night because it wouldn't be weird for them to be wearing disguises. Joan brought Goldine a disguise in a paper bag. So she brought jeans, a khaki jacket, red gloves, dark face paint, a domino mask, and a hat. A domino mask is like one of those really small black masks. And it basically only goes around your eyes and like in between where your nose is. Um, kind of like the mask Robin from Batman wears or maybe like Zorro. The women decided to hide the gun in the paper bag that Joan had packed those clothes in. 
So they got to Peter's house at 9 p.m. and they waited for the couple to turn in for the night and turn off all the lights in the house. Peter and Betty did just that around 11 o'clock is when they got in bed. That's when Goldine got out of the car, put on her domino mask, and rang the doorbell, waiting for Peter to answer so that she could shoot him. Goldine said that she was so nervous she couldn't quit shaking, and she actually had to use her left hand to steady her right hand on the gun so she would quit trembling enough to be able to pull the trigger. After shooting Peter in the chest right below the heart, Goldine jumped in the car where Joanne kissed her hand and said, Thank you. They dropped off Margaret Barrett's vehicle back at Margaret's home in Hollywood. Also, they carelessly left the khaki jacket in the back of Margaret's car, just a side note, and then the two went their separate ways on foot. Joan's final words to Goldine were, forget you ever knew me, quote. Goldine said that night she tore the costume up and burned what was left of it, and then she stored the gun in a department store locker where it would later be found by police. By the way, I don't know exactly how police got information on the gun. Only one article mentioned they got a phoned-in anonymous tip. The others just say it was found. So, Goldine was arrested November 15th, Joan the next day. They start their trials March 11th, 1958. Both women were charged with first-degree murder. Joan planned to plead not guilty, and Goldine was going to plead insanity. However, in a strange turn of events, the women both got a plea bargain for second-degree murder, and they were both sentenced five years to life. That's crazy. Goldine is said to have been very teary-eyed and remorseful, whereas Joan is said to have been smiling and showed no remorse for the murders. It's like she thought she had her damn own talk show like Ellen DeGeneres the whole time. Very little can be found about Goldine, Joan, or Betty. Both Goldine and Joan were eventually released. I don't know when. Goldine stayed in the L.A. area and eventually died at the age of 83. Nothing's really known of Joan at all. She just whoop, fell off the map. And Betty went on to live a full life. She sold off both the beauty salons and got remarried in 1966. Betty was never indicated as having something to do with the murders, and she passed away in 1999 at the age of 81. Anyway, the thing that really scares me about this story isn't that Peter was killed. It was that Joan got Goldine to do it. That's what freaked me out. All right, guys. Don't forget, if you subscribe for $1.99, you get a bonus episode every month. So there's already a few of them, and they're ad-free. Okay. I will talk to you next week. Bye.